This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Today, we have a great guest for you. Mr. Tim Rowling from Rolling Sales Growth Advisors and also the host of the Growth Process Podcast, a podcast I was fortunate enough to be a guest on here in the last past couple of weeks. And we just basically sat and talked shop for 25 minutes and honestly could have gone for a little while longer. So it made sense to have Tim, come over and hang out with us on Power Producers for a little bit. So that's what we're going to do this afternoon and hope everybody enjoys the ride. As we get ramped up, Tim, why don't you kind of give everybody your backstory on how you got to where you're at today with your own sales and growth consulting firm? Sure. Thanks, David and Kyle. It's, it's a privilege to be here and be on your podcast and uh, share some insights with, with your listeners. So my background is... Uh, uh, oddly enough, I come from an engineering background and I migrated to sales. So how, how did that happen? That is odd. It, it is odd, right? So I did engineering out of school for 10 or 12 years, liked it. It just didn't suit me long term. What I found was as I started to get more involved in like pre-construction sales, my background was civil engineering. I really enjoyed that process and being out talking to people and nurturing the relationships and helping see projects through from start to finish. From that field, I went to product sales and was a field sales rep, just knocking on doors for 10, 10 or 12 years. And I loved it. What I found was that when you build process into your day, you can do very well. And it's it's a it's a great profession. and uh, You can just help people. And that's really what sales is fundamentally. It's offering a solution to help somebody get better at whatever it is they're doing. So I, from, from the field sales rep, I migrated into sales management, which is a whole other discipline, right? We I will probably dive into the concept of being the best sales producer into sales manager, which is a completely different skill set. And then in executive leadership, where you need just that, that leadership that provides more, more vision. So I've been through all three of those you know, cycles, but I bring that analytic mindset, which I think you need now more than ever, not just in sales management and leadership, but also as a producer or sales rep. You just need to have that analytical mind to start to analyze your own performance and bring that to the team as well. 
Yeah, it's interesting, man, because with all the technology that's out there, I honestly think sales should be a whole lot easier for us because the deck is stacked in our favor. I mean, I can remember way back when, you know, one of my first outside sales jobs was literally selling satellite dishes door to door in West Virginia. And 65% of the state had no cable TV. My biggest obstacle was actually getting the people approved for the financing to be able to buy the dish, but it was a matter of how did you work the system, right? How did, you know, number one, was there a system for selling satellite dishes door to door? And then number two, how does that morph over time? I actually talked about this job in my first book, but I actually developed a cable interest survey that I would go door to door and I would just ask a series of questions like, how much do you pay a month for cable? Oh, you don't have cable. You don't say. <laughs> we already knew they didn't have cable. We looked to see before we ever pulled down that road. But, you know, we would get into how much do you spend at the movie theater for tickets? Do you buy food when you go there? Do you go out to eat before or after? How many movies are you renting a month? And when you do that, do you have pizza delivered and all of these things? And what we were doing was we were coming up with the cost of entertainment for a household every month and then showing them they could replicate that by getting a dish that provided them hundreds of channels and they would save a significant amount of money by doing that. And so I, I, I talk about that because it's very, very similar to the sales style that we use today in selling total cost of risk as opposed to going in and selling insurance premium, right? Everybody's got a premium, but what really goes into that premium? And what are all the other costs associated with your risk management program, like soft costs of claims or retained losses, whether active or passive, meaning they have a deductible or self-insured retention, or they don't. Either way, that money's coming out of pocket. You know, we can go right down the list, but essentially it's all things that are direct cost. I mean, soft costs associated or direct in some cases associated with your insurance and risk management program, but they're not calculated in premium. And most businesses don't ever think to go back and actually quantify that as part of the spend for that department in their operations. So if we can go in and quantify that information to them, we're home free. But where I was going with this is I remember back when I was selling dishes door to door, I started out going and knocking and doing these cable interest surveys in person. And then I found out this awesome thing called the Coles directory, which I could then use to target a geography. So rather than me, and so I would plan my day out by going to the Coles directory. And then I'm like, what am I doing, man? I could do these cable interest surveys over the phone dial through a whole lot more people than what I would be able to go knock on doors. And so I started, you know, I basically ended up with a call list where I made my call list from the Coles directory in areas that I knew didn't have cable television. And I would basically pitch what I had to say over the phone. And when I showed up, we were just getting paperwork signed. I mean, it blew my mind how easy it was, but you know, I think it's the same thing, except we got a lot more toys and tools today. They're, you know, we're not dealing with the Coles directory. We're dealing with laser focused data that you can pretty much get with a little bit of effort online. And I just think that for salespeople that are motivated, 
it's a great time to be a salesperson, right? But I mean, just like anything else, there's always going to be that divide between the the motivated and the lazy. And that's the other thing. It makes the lazy look even lazier because it's so much easier to get the information you didn't get. If you don't want to put it forth effort today, I don't know that it's the right job for you, to be honest with you. Yeah, it's almost, you know, when you look at the tools that are out there, we used to have to go out and generate activity. And that was, you know, you could say that activity times your effectiveness would yield a sale. Well, now the, the activity is so easy to generate. The question is, how do you, how good are you, or how good are you at engaging and then, and then building that, that effectiveness? I, I almost think with the tools that we have, um, you still need to build trust, right? And you need to do it fairly quickly. And depending on who's running the tools, you can either accelerate that trust or you can you can really hurt the process and set yourself and your organization back. So you have to be very, very careful with how you use these tools, but they are they are fantastic when you get to get them in your hands and, and get the right content to the right audience. I need to go back to the satellites for a second. <laughs> I'll defer to your expertise, like because I just I truly don't know. Now, is it like do you need a satellite? Is it like a cable box where you need a satellite for each different TV that you have? No, no. Right? So they had it. It was different ways, man. You know, it was kind of an interesting time to be doing that because the direct TV and dish network stuff had not even been invented yet. Like yeah. it was, it came out right at the very end of what, of my time there. And but we were selling the big six and a half foot C-band satellite dishes. And so okay. traditionally, you know, you could only have one receiver that went to that dish, but they had morphed, you know, to a later time where you could have, I think you were able to have two. The problem is you couldn't have two TVs that wanted to watch channels on different satellites because... Yeah. <laughs> You know, that thing literally moved like this across, yeah, yeah. depending on which of the satellites you were going to pick your channels up off of. So well, it, it the whole thing changed. I don't even know that they make those or anybody buys them anymore. Once DirecTV and Dish Network came out, it solved the problem and changed things completely. And I don't even know that those exist anymore because well, I mean, or at least they're waning because. You know, we were with we were when we signed up for cable this last time, we bought it through AT&T, but then DirecTV bought that. So I have DirecTV at the house, but it's all streaming. It's not done through a dish. That's interesting. So the, the reason I'm asking about this is yesterday I was playing golf and one of the houses that backed up to the course, literally, it had six satellites clustered on the back <laughs> of its house. And I was just like, I haven't seen a satellite like that in a long time. And I was just like, what are the, are they, is there something going on here that I don't but it, know? Was it about? like the little dishes that were 18 was, inches or yeah. it wasn't? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know, man. It would be interesting to see because even with those, you, you didn't have to have a stars. Like what's going on here? Yeah. <laughs> they, had, they had something else going on. Right. Anyhow. So what is yeah, yeah, go ahead, Kyle. I, no. Well, okay. So the question, one, one of the things that you brought up when you were first talking to him was the sometimes the, I guess, inability to transfer from being like a top salesperson into a leadership role. Yeah. And I think that's why Michael Jordan's not a basketball coach in the NBA, right? I mean, like some sure. of these guys yeah. have a huge problem with that. And I think in sales, it's the same thing. So I wanted you to elaborate a little bit on that. I think it's, it's a transition from an individual contributor mindset to the to the team coach, you know, and if 
if you're not attuned to that, it's going to be very, very difficult, you know, along with the ability to analyze the data, motivate your team. If you're a sales rep and you're a good sales rep, you're used to running and gunning, talking to people, uh, growing sales for, for, for your benefit, but also for the team. It's just a completely different mindset. And we don't spend time as leaders of organizations to really train and coach to that. We put the person in a role. We say good luck. That could potentially be a double loss, right? You just pulled your best producer out of the field. Yeah. They have the team reporting to them that may not necessarily want to report to them. There's all kinds of dynamics that go on there. So you might start losing team members. This person's struggling. They're not happy. So you had, I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just saying be very careful and coach that person on how to be that, that manager, that team leader with positive coaching, which is critically important and kind of, kind of, because what's going to happen is they might find out, oh no, this is, this is a lot more different than I think, you know, and start lashing out in terms of frustration to the team. And that, that can be compounded in the compensation side too, right? You don't necessarily pay the managers on the same scale that you're going to pay the sales reps. You, this person might make more money in the field than they do as a manager. So that that that's to be considered as well. So it's just a completely different game that needs to be coached, and that that's business ownership. It's their responsibility to make sure that happens. I think. Well, and I think, yeah, I think that's part of the problem too. Is business? I, I think a lot of times people gravitate toward that top producer, thinking they're going to be the one that's going to be the best to teach other people. And yeah. I mean, I even go back. I, I go back to my days in the grocery industry. I always thought it was ridiculous, but whoever the the fastest and best stocker was, was the person who got promoted to be the leader of the stock crew. And, you know, while in my case, that ended up being a good decision for the company, I just didn't really think that was the best way to identify <laughs> talent. Yeah, yeah. Right. And, and I mean, right. so carry that forward. I'm I'm a I, like I'm a student of leadership. I've read everything that John Maxwell puts right. out. I've been to his seminars and I and I follow a lot of other people. Um and so I tend to I tend to think about things fairly objectively when it comes to leadership because to me I don't care if your behavior is good behavior or bad behavior if people are following what you're doing then you're you're a leader. I just need to redirect you to positive things. Mm-hmm. As opposed to otherwise, and so the example that I'm I'm going to use was that you know when I got my role uh, with Super Target originally, um, I was in my my regular role for literally just a couple of months, and then they had somebody leave, and they pushed me to overnight replenishment, which was absolutely a worst case scenario for me at the time, and I had to be responsible for literally every single thing that happened on the graveyard shift, and so. I was probably a month in and there was a guy that that would come in. I'll never forget. His name was James and he would show up probably 20 or 30 minutes late every single night, every night without question. (laughs) And when I got the job, I was told that I needed to make James go away because he was a problem because he was late every night and he would come in. And when he got there, everybody would start paying attention to him and it drug down the process of unloading the truck and this, that, and the other. And so I'm of the mindset that if James has an attendance problem, I want to know why, like, I'm not going to just sit here and berate him and, you know, write him up and all of this. Like if it's something that happens every single night, there's something going on. And so I, I asked him, I said, just out of curiosity, I said, you know, look, I'm not here to, 
I'm not here to 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 beat up on you and and or whatever else. We're both grown adults. I said, but I, you know, you do have an attendance problem. I said, you're scheduled to be here at 10 o'clock every night. And it's usually 10, 20, 10, 30 before you get here. Why? And he said, because my wife doesn't even get home until 10 after 10. She works till 10. She comes home and and I have time to like maybe pass her quickly. And then I leave and come to work since she's there to help the kids. And I said, so if you were in my position, how would you solve this problem? He goes, well, I doubt you can adjust my schedule. They never have in the past. And I said, well, what would be a reasonable adjustment if I had you come in at 11, would that be okay? Or if I waited until midnight, would that be okay for you to come in? So at least you had some time with your wife in the evenings before it was time for you to come into your shift. And he said, man, he goes, that would be incredible. He said that I, I would love it. And I said, and the other thing I wanted to talk to you about is I said, I really, I'm going to keep my eye on what you're doing. And I said, I'm not saying that from a, from a micromanaging standpoint. I said, but I think you're well-respected man. And I think one of the things that is caused people to be so up in arms about the fact that you walk in late every day is because a lot of other people look up to you and follow what you're doing and it disrupts the team. And I said, has anybody ever talked to you about possibly looking at going into management with the company? He said, you got to be kidding me. I'm late every day. Nobody wants. And I said, we already fixed that problem. Now, if it, if it continues after the schedule change, that's going to be an issue. And I said, but I really feel like if you have an interest, your work is great when you're here, but you also have a really good relationship with all of the other people on the team. And so I'm not going to go through the rest of the story, but it ended up with this guy is actually a manager for them now. Like he, he 20 some years later, he got an opportunity, but it goes back to the fact that I think sometimes we're so pigeonholed in what we're looking for that we don't see an opportunity that presents itself in front of us. And that's why I started out with, you know, a leader is somebody who has people following them. It doesn't matter if their behaviors are positive or negative. I mean, there's plenty of people that run street gangs that are leaders, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because they got plenty of people that are willing to do stupid stuff to ruin the rest of their life, but they're following what these people do. And so I, I just, it's always interesting to me. And, and I guess where, where I would go with this question is when you're working with a company to, to help them build sales growth what, and in the insurance industry, bar none, the hardest role to fill is a producer, right? It, it, you know, it, I mean, account managers are definitely a close second because they're not growing on trees either. But to, for right. you to find somebody that's a pure producer that can come in and, and, and just crush it, you're not going to find those people. They're, they're few and far between. So you have to build them. My question is, what type of, what type of profiling or testing, personality tests, ideal traits, whatever, do you have a company use to define who's going to be a successful salesperson or not? Or do you not believe in, in using those at all? They're okay. You know, I kind of believe in experience and looking for traits. See, were they successful in the past at any role? It doesn't have to be sales necessarily. Um, but I, I prefer people outside of that industry. We've talked about that in the past. You know, prior to doing this, I was a family business owner and led sales there. And I, I never, never hired somebody from the same industry because they had behaviors that you didn't necessarily want or, or a preset mindset that didn't allow you to to help them be successful in, in your business. So uh, I look for past success in sales, but not, not industry related first and foremost. You know, and, and if we're looking for 
leadership or management position, your example in the store was a great example of what I call human leadership, which I differentiate from uh, plain old leadership. You know, leadership says, hey, we're going to hit a goal. It's a finite point in time. Human leadership examines the aftermath. Is the team energized? Do they want to continue working with you when the project's done? If the answer is yes, then that's human leadership because you're building sustainability over time. Uh, so some of that track record can also apply to the producer or the sales rep as well. Yeah, I, I think uh, a lot of times those top producers just don't like they have short patience. I remember. Uh, so my wife is now a manager at ADP and she was a top rep there. She was a top rep at the company that her and I both worked at before. And her issue initially was like when she would have people on her team that just either were not producing or weren't getting it just having a really short fuse and being like, like, dude, like expecting them to be able to yeah. go out and do the same things that she could. It's just not realistic. Not everybody's going to do that. And I think, I mean, there's, she has a producer on her team right now that makes like double what she does. <laughs> and there's another yeah. one in the company, same thing. That's going to sell, this is payroll. That's going to sell over a million and a half in payroll deals this year. And it's all self-gen stuff. This girl's crazy, David. I, I'll have to tell you about her, but like, it's, it's nuts. Um, I'm like, I'm, I'm licking my chops wondering why we haven't interviewed her yet. <laughs> yeah, well, it, I mean, it, it honestly probably could come down the road in a little bit, but it's like both of them would be absolutely horrific, like leaders or managers of a team because it's just not in their, in their DNA. No, it's not who they are. Right? No. Yeah. Well, let's call it what it is too. I think that if you're a really good producer, you have a proclivity to have an ego too. And that's not something that's well-received when you're in a leadership or management role, sure. people don't people don't want you constantly rubbing it in their face that, well, when I was a sales producer right. and I did this, when I did that, well, what's that really going to get you in life, right? Just teach them the way you don't have to, they're going to assume this is how you did it. it. You know, there's just so much lost in messaging. And, in you know, the other thing too is, in my experience, I've worked with a lot of salespeople that are really, really selfish. They want to hold on to their secrets. They don't want to share them. They don't yeah. want to build the team or make it any better. You know, from my perspective, I always found that to be odd. Yeah, I agree. I agree. They, and, they, and so they're also my, competitive. You know, they want to win. So they're like, yeah. like you said, they're holding their secrets. Yeah. And so from my perspective, I've always said that if I'm going to branch out and have people be leaders of, of different, vertical markets inside of um, Florida risk partners, because we have several affinity brands and other things. I've always thought it would be really cool to, to assign a producer to a specific vertical market and let them take it and run with it. And then if they wanted to expand that brand, they could be responsible for recruiting sales talent and account managers and things. But as part of the process, I would also be willing to compensate them with an override on whatever they were generating with the people who were under their their supervision and leadership. And then I could play those people against each other in contests and things, you know, between the different vertical markets inside the agency. But, you know, I think that also helps you develop people at a lower level so that if there's a time when it's ready for, you know, I'm ready to exit. Now I've got leadership developed automatically on a smaller scale. It should be a relatively easy transition to move in and fill, fill my shoes. So, you know, I, I think it's always been very interesting because we, and the other thing is a lot of people, I don't know how much this has changed. You actually probably have a much better perspective because I'm sort of narrowed down to my own little fiefdom here, but 
you know, I, I don't I, I think people are more typically inclined to grow their management or promote from within more than they hire outside. And I think that that's probably a little bit of a miscalculation, too, because you may actually have better management ta- talent that is willing to come and work with you. And I, I think those people are likely more readily available on the streets than the people who are actually going out and doing the producing could be completely wrong, but it seems like the management job is one that's often overlooked from an outside perspective. It's completely overlooked from an outside perspective. The other aspect of of modern sales management, it's not just managing your sales team anymore. You have to help manage the brand sometimes develop, especially in the small to mid-sized organization. You have to integrate marketing you have to have a process for building your sales pipeline. You have to integrate that human leadership we talked about. You have to build customer service operations. You have to have conversations across the organization, maybe with uh, operations, marketing, accounting, you, you name it. So you have to be much more collaborative uh, than ever in the past. And I just don't know that, that and this isn't a blanket over everybody, that some of the top producers are going to have that mindset. You may have that in your organization. You may not, but I, I would not exclude going out and recruiting for those people because they have to be more, more collaborative and cross-functional than ever. Yeah. And I think that when you're coming from the same environment, you're already set in your ways enough and have your own opinions. It's very difficult. And you have your own opinions on people too. It, it makes it no very, question. very difficult no to question. be objective. No question, which is key, right? You have to have to not pigeonhole and play the favorite game. So coming from outside can definitely be an advantage. Kyle, you ran into that. I mean, when you were at Quill, you you ran a team at one point and you had been just regular, a regular salesperson to some point. I mean, how did they determine that you were ready to run a team? And then when you did, what that transition look like? Yeah. So with that business model, they were really trying to develop anybody that they could into those roles, but it didn't happen. But I was there for an extraordinarily long period of time. Like selling office supplies business to business for five and a half years. And part of it was because of the relationships I had. The guy that interviewed and hired me ended up becoming, you know, like a, a, my boss and opening up his own office. And I went with him to Orlando to do that. And then we came back here. We're running an office here. So we had a pretty good friendship. But I mean, it was always something that I had wanted to do. I mean, look, I played team sports. I was the point guard. I was the captain. Like it, it was just something that I always naturally kind of gravitated to, except for school projects. That shit was lame. I wanted no part in captaincy in that. Like, I'm just going to ride everybody else's coattails for that aspect of things. But, but no, I mean, it was so like the way it worked was, you know, you would have to kind of go and establish yourself or establish consistency yourself and prove that you could do the job that you were going to be training other people to do. And with that role, it was relatively basic stuff. I mean, we had a pitch. You learn the pitch, you overcome objections, and you get a lot of like on-the-spot sales training with seeing 30, 40, 50 businesses a day. So it was a very fast, rapid progression because of that. But dude, there, I mean, there were tons of growing pains. I mean, it was something that I had to learn, like how to relate with all these different types of people. Cause I could, there were people on my team that were twice my age that had maybe been in the military or and that had families. And I'm like, I don't have very much in common with them as a 23, 24 year old. Like I, you know, I wasn't married. I went to school for business, but like, I I was just kind of learning things on the fly. So it always goes back to my point that I've made several times on the podcast before about being coachable. 
because like I had to learn how to relate with these people and change, change the way I was at. Cause like, I'm not, I wasn't the one who, who wanted to go spend a bunch of time after I had been working for 10 hours and go develop those relationships more than I already had throughout the day. So that was something that I had to kind of change a little bit and something that my wife at least really had, you know, issues with too. And um, one of the reasons, you know, she ended up taking a different career path after that, but I don't know if that answered your initial question. I just kind of started rambling, but that's, that's where we're at. Yeah, no, I think think it's good stuff, man. Yeah, it's really good. I often equate sales to this. It's the sport of business, right? Because you have you have your individual players, your individual contributors out there doing their thing. Some are great, some are medium, some are not so good. And then the manager, sales manager, is the coach, right? You have to have to bring the team together, and you're 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 measured. You're clearly measured on on the numbers um, and reaching your your goals and your quotas. So there's really no gray area. If if the manager and leadership uh, have brought clarity to goals and the vision for the company and the team is bought in, which you kind of see over time, you know, as far as you, your example of not, not feeling like you could build that rapport with the person who had the military experience in a family. I think you can do that in working hours because I hear all the time, oh, I need to go to another, another work function. I just put in so many hours, less and less. We want to do that as, as, as business people. So you can do that by how you perform, helping them through the day, making you know, helping make their day easier. You can build that relationship over time. So the way this this work this job particularly worked is, you know, we we were out hundred percent. We meet at the office at like seven in the morning. We do our yeah. morning ramp up meetings. We were out in the field for the entire rest of the day. Most of the time, I had somebody else that was training with me, riding along the entire day. So when I yeah. say like like we didn't have stuff, in, I would find some stuff we had in common by just. <laughs> The, the sheer amount of time that we spent together. Awesome. I couldn't just sit there and not talk to the person because that would be worse than <laughs> in the alternative. But right. Um, right. I think the part that was the issue and what ultimately was the straw that broke the camel's back was just the fact that like we were working. So I would show up at the office before seven, wouldn't leave till after seven. And then we'd have another, you know, two hours like later in the evening where we'd maybe go out and you know, do whatever, whatever it was, grab a drink or grab food. And it was just like, I was so sick of it. I just wanted some, like, I remember the guy ended up telling me, I was like, Hey, I'm going to be gone for, you know, whatever it was like a long weekend. It's like, all right, I'm going to need you to come in on Saturday to make up that day. And I just like, I lost it. Yeah. 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 I lost it. But so uh, the business I was in prior to this was selling office supplies, facility supplies and uh, enjoyed it. But yeah, it's the B2B. You have to catch people when they're at their desk, 7 a.m. And, and sometimes later. So it can be tough. Yep. Yeah. So here's my question. You know, again, we're sort of pigeonholed. We've obviously worked in other industries before, but I'm interested because I know what the answer is for the insurance industry. When you engage with a new client for your consulting job, how many of them already have a defined sales process of some point, of some sort? Almost none. Right. Almost none. That could be the one person shop or the, 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 the Fortune 500 with 50 sales reps across the country. There is virtually no defined sales process. They might have a great, you know, maybe a CRM system that has some automation and they've played around with that, but there's no, there's no defined process that takes it from, you know, marketing qualified lead to sales, sales qualified lead and then the steps in between and who does what and what are the scripts and you know, on and on and on. Uh, very rarely do I see that defined. 
And it's mm-hmm. it's critical to do in the small business because that's your your escalator to growth. But the, the small business owner is just they're busy, right? They do a lot of different things. They're wearing many, many hats. That's where we offer the most value is to help them develop develop that structure and process and execute until they can get to the point to hire and not just do the sales themselves. So when you look at putting together a sales process, what are the things that you consider? Oh, wow. That's a great question. It's um, uh, the team in place. You know, who's who's going to execute it? Are the resources in place to hire? Sometimes they are, sometimes they aren't. If they are, that's great. We build we build the process and then we start to find people that we think will work within the process. Uh, if it's the one person shop, we'll actually do some of the execution for them. It really comes down to a willingness on leadership to invest in some of the tech that's out there and then pay for the new people that come in. That's the number one criteria. What's your what's your threshold? For, because it's it's not free. And then what's your time horizon? What are you looking like? Because it's not instant. It takes time to develop the process. It takes time to execute the process. And then how well do you know your current target market to, to go after those people? And that's another thing besides process. They don't have a great handle on their brand. And they don't have a great handle on their target market. So it's it's brand realization. How well does the market know about you? How well are you integrating marketing process into sales processes? Almost never. What's your pipeline? The future state of your pipeline look like? And then we talked about this, David. Can you back that up into what the day should look like in terms of number of calls that you need to drive to ultimately drive that to the number that you need to hit, both in top line and in margin growth? What's your leadership structure look like? And then what's your customer service operations? So those are really the five buckets, brand, marketing integration, pipeline development, human leadership, customer service operations. It's actually $7 threshold and time time horizon, all critical factors. So then my next question is, in addition to putting process in place, how many of them actually, if they don't have a process, they likely don't have a CRM or any system that's going to yeah. aid them in doing that, right? Totally. Yeah. They might have something uh, that they've started to use, but they're not quite using it. They might, it just be, might be a glorified uh, contact database. They're not, they're not using it for process or certainly not automation in a lot of cases. And the, the cost of uh, the automation within, within CRMs is coming down. There's a, the, the competition is driving that cost down. So there's some great tools out there now that are really reasonable uh, to use from both a marketing and a sales perspective. So the small organization really needs to leverage those. You can look a lot bigger than you are with the tech that's out there. Now, the, the art of developing that trust and relationship was being lost a little bit, but so that I spent a lot of time developing the process to really help build the trust and not just throwing content out there that doesn't make a lot of sense. What's the biggest mistake you see organizations make when it when we're talking about their sales process? I understand that a lot of them don't really necessarily yeah. have a process that you're engaging with, but maybe for the ones that do or for the ones who think they do, what's the biggest mistake? Starting and stopping see it all the time. They'll start down the road and maybe they get a little little progress or maybe they don't quite get the progress that they want. And instead of adjusting and tweaking, kind of doing that A-B testing, now I would say it's A through Z testing. You need to test a lot of different things. They just stop and say, ah, oh, that wasn't working. Let's let's find another tool, you know, or, and or finding that shiny object and just switching directions because they, they saw something shine through their peripheral vision and, and going in another direction. Mm-hmm. Stick with, stick with what, what you know 
uh, stick with what you're doing, make adjustments. That's how you learn. That's how you develop a process. You know, the processes that we develop, yes, we have things in our mind that have worked in the past for other organizations, but every engagement's different. We need to understand you because that's really the only differentiator that you have in your business with everything being so competitive and then develop a process accordingly. So stopping and starting and or being distracted by the squirrel you see running across the street. Those are two huge, huge mistakes I see consistently. Yeah, I think the other thing too, man, it's kind of like from a sales perspective, not as much sales management, but people get so caught up in wanting everything to be perfect before they start. Absolutely. And, you know, I've always said imperfect action is going to supersede perfect inaction any day of the week. I'd rather you start course correct along the way, you know, or whatever, but not... Yeah. Don't sit here and expect to try and get everything absolutely perfect before you start because it's just never going to happen. Progress, not perfection. You know, the, the, the whole concept of perfection is a myth. You just want to get a little bit better every day. If you say we want to be perfect, you're going to drive yourself nuts because it doesn't exist. You know, so just just progress, not perfection. I say that almost every day. Is yeah. that the, yeah, so Good, I mean, that, that's obviously a great piece of advice. Would you? If you had to give a piece of advice to, you know, any salesperson, regardless of really experience or tenure out there, is it that? Is it something else? What do you think? That would be advice I would give to management or leadership for the producer or the sales rep. You know, I'd, I'd say find a way with all the tech tools in, in, at your disposal to learn more about those. Challenge yourself to learn a little bit something every day. Not just just take it for granted because it's you're going to get left behind if you don't at least understand the tools and what their capabilities are. Uh, and if your management team doesn't know it, present that to them. Say, hey, I think this can, can help me and here's why. Uh, the other thing I would say is build warmth. Try to find a way to build warmth into your outreach. Um, a great way to do that is through video. You know, there's there, I use dub.com, which is a great video platform. There's Vidya, there's Loom, there's all kinds of... Uh, video platforms that can integrate with whatever CRM you're using in most cases, so you can have records of it. So building warmth and and learning, never stop learning in today's world, especially with the tech tools. Elaborate on the warmth. Yeah. So build, build some sincerity into what you do. So maybe every once in a while through either LinkedIn messaging or, or email or whatever platforms you're using, send a quick Quick note, hey, it's it's you know, it's Tim from XYZ organization. I just wanted to reach out and see how you guys are doing. I'm not selling anything. When it's right for you, I'd like to talk, you know, zip it and move on. And uh, you can have call to actions that come up after your video and all kinds of things. But but video is a great way in today's world where we don't get out as much to shake hands or knock on doors. You know, when I was doing uh, facility supplies, it was knock on 20, 30, 30 doors a day. Yep. collect that many business cards and then the game started right it was phone call email phone call email and that's how you did it well you can still do some of that it's harder to reach people on the phone emails maybe 50 50 use the other tools at your disposal which are specific targeted searches through social media and then you can use the video to really warm them up without sending them you've you've seen the list we get two three four five paragraphs through linkedin with videos and all this attached I don't know about you, but I don't look at those. I don't have time, you know, so just that 20, 30 second video um, can go a long way with some sincerity built into your voice. It's funny, man. The floor mats in my car used to be just littered with business cards from yeah. all the places that I would go. I'd get them and I would, because there was no way to like keep them and, and you know, 
I'm not going to store them in like a binder or something ridiculous. So I would basically just jot down the important info, like the business name, the address, yeah. phone number, email, and, and the person's name and all that and whatever other notes and then get rid of them. But man, I remember by, by Friday, my, uh, my, my floor mats of the car would look pretty, pretty covered. See, I was the binder guy. Yeah. I got the little binder things and I'd slide the cards in them. And until, until the tech got there where we could scan a business card early on, right. it didn't work good. They were pretty yeah. rough, but then they got better. Well, I mean, now it's at the point where you can you can scan the business card in and it'll trigger a deal creation and automation to follow up from the trade show or whatever else. I mean, I mean, that's what insane. we were first doing when we got HubSpot is like I would be out on the road doing drops and I would take a picture of them and scan them in. And then that way, A, I wouldn't forget to to put them in. And and it would also allow me to jot some notes down right like right in there in, in real time so that I didn't forget anything. Yeah, what I love about the tools today is when I when I think back to pre pre tech tools, it was hard to remember to follow up no matter what your system was, whether you were writing it down or if it was on Excel, you know, HubSpot or any other tool it has automated tasks that can just prompt you to make that quick phone call, uh, which is fantastic. So you know, if you're not using those as a producer or sales rep, you certainly certainly should be just to help hold yourself accountable. Well, and let's call it what it is, man. Again, it goes back to the separation between the people who are, you know, lazy and the ones who are out producing. I can give a Rolls Royce to somebody, but if all they want to do is lay up on the couch drinking beer and eating chips, they're not going to go drive the car. So what's the point of giving it to them? Same thing holds true with CRMs, man. I mean, you could have the Cadillacs or Rolls Royce or whatever, you know, analogy you want of CRMs. But if people don't use it, it's worthless. In fact, it's wor- it's more than worthless. It's a cost center that's not getting you a return. Yeah, if, if I had somebody come into an interview and say, I'd ask them, why do you want to be in sales? And they said, well, I really want the, the flexibility. To me, that was an immediate no-go because it, it just said to be, well, they, they may just want to kind of sit back. They think sales are going to come in. Or at least I wouldn't give them a current book of business. It would be they would have to develop their own book of business if we move forward at all. Because sales is, is it's a lot of fun, but it's also very hard work. And it takes a lot of persistence and organization to be successful. If you're not going to do the work, it's, it's just not going to happen for you. So those, the folks that have that mindset, it's just not right for them. That's a good point. I never really thought about that because I would interview people too. And I mean, I'm sure people said that and it never really registered like what they were probably actually meaning. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so that's, that's an interesting yeah. insight. Yeah. Yeah, I like the flexibility. Well, there's you may have flexibility, but your your, your flexibility is what your prospects and customers need. So, which could be right. like you said, seven to seven before. It's, yeah. it's a lot of hard work, a lot of uh, follow up, a lot of persistence. It's worth it. It's a fun discipline, but you have to engage it. We've been going for about forty five minutes. What have we not covered yet that you wanted to make sure we get out of this episode today, Tim? We've covered a lot of ground. I, you know, we talked about leadership and human leadership. We talked about, you know, needs for sales process. You know, I, I, if I had to leave a final message to, to sales managers, I'd say, you know, again, educate yourselves. Start to flex your mind a little bit to be a little more collaborative. If you're in the small business, you have two or three reps and then ownership. Uh, learn these tools. Learn what's going to work good for your team and start to build that personal experience into your sales process, because that's the only thing that's going to differentiate whatever widget you're selling. For the sales rep, like we said, learn, 
and um, continue learning. That's just, it's going to help you exponentially throughout your careers. You know, I'm interested in your thoughts on this, Elide. We were getting ready to wrap up, but now I'm going to ask you a question because with the continued uh-huh. learning thing, it's something that I, you know, I take seriously. I think a lot of people in our industry don't because they just pencil whip the continuing ed because you have to, to keep your license instead of actually right. going and finding worthwhile courses to make you better at your craft. What a novel concept that is. <laughs> but, you know, one of the things that you hear a lot of buzz about right now is chat GPT and a lot of people are using it to get information and everything else. And so the point that I'm making right now, and I've, I've put this out in a couple different platforms and content is if we're using it, guess who else is using it? Those prospects that you're calling on, you know, and if you're going to go, let's just say I'm going to go meet with a precision machine shop for a worker's compensation renewal. I may go in and say, what are the worker's comp exposures for a precision machine shop in Tampa, Florida and see what it comes out with. Well, it's very possible that I could have that prospect also go into chat GPT and say, what questions should I ask about my insurance renewal for a precision machine shop in Tampa, Florida? And it's going to be like a never ending dance at that point. It's going to be who's using technology better. But I, you know, if you're a salesperson out there listening to this and you don't think that your prospects and clients are going to use the same technology that you're using to prove yeah. that you're the right solution to basically do everything they can to disarm you. You're kidding yourself. They're absolutely going to use it because yeah. it's so easy. And that tool is only going to get more powerful and more easy to use as it continues to learn. And the only way that it learns is through people using it. So that's right. You yeah, take that it over really, like iRobot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it really speaks to the need to understand what your differentiation is. Really spend some time as a company to know truly what makes you different. For you, it's understanding the complete risk factor, right? Of an organization, not just selling insurance. You know, for some other company, it's going to be something else. But if you don't know that before you go in, then then them having that sheet, and they will, it's just like when the internet came out. <laughs> People would go to the internet and find things and they knew more, knew more before you got there. Well, chat GPD just takes it to the next level. Know your target market, know what their needs, pains, and wants are, and then uh, understand what your differentiation is. And the only thing that really differentiates you is, is your process and your people within that. So be able to pull out those unique factors Fortunately, we're all different. We can pull out those factors and understand that and build that into our process. That's how you're going to win. Yeah, I agree with you. I I think it's going to be very, very interesting to see how this whole thing unfolds because it's just the tip of the iceberg. And I mean, I don't think any of us could fathom even having the ability to do some of the things we can do right now. And it's still at a relatively elementary level for what it could likely go to. But my mind is way too feeble to comprehend where this thing could head. I have no idea. Like it's always that. So I'm consuming as much as I can from people who are already deep into the rabbit hole and talking about best practices and how to do this and how to do that. And, you know, I feel like I'm up to speed to a certain degree, but, you know, tomorrow I'll be behind again if I'm not constantly staying on top of it. You know what else I think is going to differentiate, David, is, is how relatable are you? When you go into a call or first meeting, second meeting, whatever it is, how well can you just have a, a casual, normal, human-to-human conversation that you're both engaged in? It's not talking about business. You're not trying to sell them something. The computer can't do that. And at the end of the day, I still believe that people buy from people they like. 
they're not going to buy from somebody they don't like probably unless the pricing is so low and that's going to cause problems down the road, right? Especially in insurance. Mm-hmm. So, you know, how relatable are you? Can you just hold a normal conversation and not sell them anything for a while? And then maybe when the time's right, you know, take it to business, which I think comes to listening. You know, it's it's a lost art too. How well do you listen to engage in that conversation? So, so the, the human element is there. It's still smarter. It's still stronger. We may not be as quick as, as the bot, but that uh, we, we do have that differentiation. Yeah, I agree. And that's, that's probably a good place for us to wrap up because otherwise if I open up another, another rabbit hole, we're going to be going for another 10 or 15. Listen, Tim, I appreciate you coming on the show today. Thanks so much for sharing with our audience. Why don't you take just a second? This is your shameless plug. Tell them where to find you and how to get a hold of you. Sure. You can find us at rollinggrowth.com. It's rolling, R-O-H-L-I-N-G, growth.com. Email Tim at rollinggrowth.com and you you can Google us and find us. We love to talk and uh, just have that human to human conversation and see where you stand with the sales process and leadership. David and Kyle, thank you so much for having me on. It's been uh, it's been a blast. Absolutely, Tim. Our pleasure. Look forward to having your episode drop here in the next two weeks. Looking forward to it. All right. Take care, brother. Everybody else. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time. See ya. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com.